Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and today I'm joined by my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Tina Payne Bryson. She is the co-author of some of the most incredible parenting books out there, including The Whole Brain Child, No Drama Discipline, The Yes Brain, and The Power of Showing Up, which she wrote with Dr. Dan Siegel, as well as the book Bottom Line for Baby. So we watched the season finale of Succession, and of course, we couldn't not talk about it. But here's the thing. You do not need to have watched Succession to get something out of this conversation because we're just using it as a fun way to talk more about how our relationships get shaped, how we can connect when we were not given proper modeling and support in our early experiences, what it looks like to repair and all sorts of things. So this is about early experiences shaping adult relationships and how those relationships play out. But it is so fascinating and such a great opportunity for us to have low investment in people who are not close to us to really unpack hard conversations and deep ideas. And it's really fun. So I hope you'll stick around even if you don't know this show. And if you do know this show, definitely watch the finale before you listen because there are a lot of spoilers. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to write a little review and let me know so that I can bring you more similar episodes. If you don't like this episode, just DM me and let me know what you're thinking. And of course, if you can give five-star ratings anytime you do that, it just helps spread the show around and get the word out. For questions I can answer on my free newsletter, drlisapressman.substack.com. Just DM me on at Raising Good Humans podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to my premium podcast on Apple. The next season is siblings. This season is sleep. We've also done mindfulness and discipline. Okay, so let's get to this because I had so much fun talking with Tina. So I guess the first thing that kind of blew my mind was Shiv and Tom trying to have an intimate conversation. Are you talking about the part where she's on the plane and she calls him? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, what really strikes me about that is I think it's really interesting to look at our, our main characters and how they handle vulnerable moments. So, and there's two kinds of, we can talk about two kinds of vulnerable moments. One is like, where someone is deciding to be vulnerable. Like in that, in that moment with Shiv, she calls Tom and she's basically like, you want to get things started again? She actually uses the phrase, do you want to have a real relationship? And that's really mm-hmm. interesting. We can dig into that. So, so a self-vulnerable moment where she kind of, you know, she's really kind of laying herself out in a vulnerable way that we don't often see from any of these characters. And then there's also 
vulnerabilities where it's inflicted upon them. They're, they end up in a situation where they're vulnerable. And I think it's really interesting to look at their defense mechanism. So in that moment, we'll go to this, this particular one. Shiv says, you know, what would, and, and she's kind of blabbering, you know, she's like, well, you know, like she often does, her dialogue is very kind of shifty and, and all over the place. Like she's, she's either pretending to not know what she's saying, or she's thinking, she's making it up as she's going. And, and so she says, you know, uh, well, um, you know, you know, she does this, a lot of these phrases and then says, do you want to have a real relationship? And when he gives her a kind of, I think an honest answer and says, I really don't know. Yeah. Then she's just like, okay, bye. She immediately shuts down. That's her immediate yeah. thing is like, you know, lo- wall is back up immediately. Yes. That's it. That's the only we're, we're done. So she immediately shuts down which is, you know, kind of like stonewalling, you know, where you basically just pull out of a situation. Like the way you respond is we're not going to talk about it. It's just over. I'm done. And I think that's how could he know? Like when he says, I really don't know, because I think he really loves her. Yeah. I don't think she knows what love is. And I think he's like, how could I know? Like you've betrayed me a million times. I have betrayed you a million times. There's no trust. We never know where we stand with each other. We have no security. And so I think he wants it, but he also is like, but then he also has his own interests at heart that he's trying to maneuver too. Yeah. I, I had the same reaction. I was just like, that was gorgeous because she didn't quite know how to put herself out there. But then when she did and it didn't work, it was just like, and I'm like closing down immediately. And she hung up leaving no space for them to have a real relationship, which she had just said she wanted, yeah. but she doesn't know how to have it. So this whole show like blows my mind because you take these characters who are so, I mean, it just shows you like once you peel back anyone, even the worst people, it's yeah. so hard not to feel for them. Yeah. And I feel, I feel like part of why we love it so much is like, the experience of having mixed feelings about the feelings that we're having totally. about these people. Right. They're horrible and they break our hearts and we root for them. And yeah. yeah, all of that's there. And it's often how we feel about ourselves. It's often how we feel about other people. It's like, you know, it's, it's complicated. You know, we feel, we feel complicated about them, but yeah, their relationship's really interesting. If you go back, I was remembering there's at their wedding, like right after their wedding, and and really, we don't see one example of a good relationship throughout the whole, I mean, it's all messed up. There's nothing hopeful. And if you listened at the end, after the show, the the creators were basically saying, this is a tragedy. You know, this, this whole thing is a tragedy. Yeah. And any glimmer of hope or any kind of beautiful moment is actually cruel because it gives, it leads us to wanting hope, you know, to hoping and, and hoping something good happens. But right after their wedding, he finds out she's been cheating on him. And she's kind of like, yeah, I mean why, I guess I thought I, we could, you know, like there's no sense making, there's no let's repair that remorse. Yeah. Yeah. There's no remorse. There's no empathy for him. And there's no making sense around let's talk this through. We clearly had a misunderstanding. Like there's none of that. And she's not sorry. And he's like, do you even love me? And she says, I mean, I don't love you, but I love you. And that's her, that was the quote she used right there. And I think that's really rich too, because the legacy of Logan for these these three children or four children, I guess, is that love and game playing and criticism and bullying and 
all of those things are all one thing. Like there's, you know, I, when Kendall at the funeral said he was a magnificent, awful force, it's like, yeah. I mean, and you think about even the dynamic between Greg and Tom, like there's total bullying plus betrayal, plus like nurturing and mentorship and loyalty. It's I know there. that moment where he was uh, in the end when he's like not killing Greg, it, it was like another weird messed up example of these kinds of awful relationships but then you also are kind of rooting for them to like have this weird loyalty to each other because they seem to connect in this weird way and they're brutal and awful i was thinking about also at the end just in thinking about tom and shiv this is jumping way forward but their hands yeah like the way their hands touched but didn't like close on each other i mean incredible i mean i was like that is perfect it was such a so perfect and they but you know so he you know and what's interesting is like now he's in the position of power so he opens his hand like okay i'm giving this gesture to you to join me in some way we don't know what that means she kind of half hands holds his hand it's just like barely it's like okay yeah i'm resigned to this I'm here. I'm here. And you don't know what I'm going to do to you. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. But there's this kind of like, yeah, and they both look miserable. They both look miserable in that moment as they've decided to sort of half join. Oh, it's just that it was was incredible. Yeah, it was such a good way to represent their relationship. Totally. And I actually was thinking like how many times, because even when you think about like looking at babies and mothers or babies and caregivers in general, like do they melt in, like is the affection kind of a melting into one another or is it stiff and rigid and ambivalent? And then seeing it in these adults with the hands, like I just, I don't know. I just was amazed. It reminded me of the time that, that Kendall confesses to his siblings about the murder. And he's broken. He's like on the floor, you know, on the land, sobbing, broken. And if you go back and look at that scene, Shiv is standing there and kind of just taps his head, like to comfort. Like uncomfortably affectionate. It's like like how you might pat your dog on the head. Like it was so token. She doesn't know how to do it. There's so, you know, this this really gets into like what has been modeled for them and how has how have their brands been wired for how to connect and how to really join and and how to show up for each other. They don't know how to do it. They really have been programmed differently. Well, okay, so thinking about that, because I'm just thinking about these other moments of affection throughout this whole episode. I mean, throughout the arc of the show, but in this episode. And I was also just like we get to see their struggle with not knowing how to be warm to each other and yet wanting so much longing for that connection. Like when Roman just falls apart into Kendall and you can't quite tell if he's like hurting him, harming him or, or loving him. And I don't think he knows either, but. And when he I comes also out of that hug, he, he's bleeding again. So I thought that was right. really interesting. Like you wound, the hug is wounding. And now a quick word from my sponsor, Caraway. Okay. As you know, I am not a great chef, but I do love 
Caraway. Their thoughtfully designed sets and complimentary storage make getting and staying organized easier than ever. And they just look so good and work so well. And you can now save 10% off the full suite of Caraway products from their internet famous cookware to their newly launched food storage set. Caraway's high quality ceramic coated kitchenware is free of PTFE such as Teflon, lead, cadmium, and other toxic materials. And Caraway Kitchenware comes in a variety of chic shades, and all sets include complimentary, easy-access storage solution. And ceramic's naturally slick surface means that you need minimal oil or butter for slide-off-the-pan eggs and easy cleaning, two things that really mean a lot to me. My kitchen is filled with caraway cookware, bakeware, storage. I love it. Visit carawayhome.com slash humans10 to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for Raising Good Humans listeners. So visit carawayhome.com slash humans10 or use the code humans10 at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. So May is Food Allergy Awareness Month, and Ready, Set, Food is on a mission to raise awareness of food allergies and the importance of early allergy introduction. I really thought this was a cool brand because we know food allergies are on the rise, and currently one in 13 babies develops food allergies each year. Evidence-based research, USDA guidelines, pediatricians, and allergists all agree that feeding small amounts of common food allergens like peanut, egg, and milk daily for six months or more, starting as soon as you're giving solids, can help give your babies the best chance at food freedom. But it can be so scary to introduce allergens. Ready Set Food was developed by an allergist and mom of two to make it easy, safe, and convenient to regularly feed babies low doses of the most common food allergens starting early. The guidelines from the leading medical organizations are now recommending that feeding your baby allergens consistently and maintaining exposure until it's part of your child's everyday diet can really be helpful at reducing risk. Ready Set Food has products that evolve with your child's feeding journey, and they're organic, they're tasty, they're healthy. So visit readysetfood.com slash humans to learn more about and get exclusive discounts on these amazing early allergen introduction products. Their mother is like more tragic, I think, than the father. You know, I actually wrote this down so I could remember it. When the kids are leaving her house and she's standing, and it was so funny, her like boyfriend's cheese and all that, that was hilarious. But when she's standing, the very first thing as they drive off, she says, go away. Go away. And it was so not a mother. Yes, I wrote that exact thing down. Because she and then she bonds with Peter, the the boyfriend or stepfather, whatever, over that very fact, like good riddance to them. And he said it was a waste of time. Like like the entire thing was transactional. They just needed to get something out of it. Yes. And yes. Her wanting to push them away, like what mother, like what it must be like to be the children of a mother whose attitude is like, yeah, goodbye. Yeah. And she's like, like the nice. She's like, just get along. Like she doesn't want any of the messiness. She doesn't want any of the, we're going to walk through this together. We're going to show up for each other. I mean, she's really, you're right. She's one of the most tragic and, and transactional is the perfect word 
for her with the kids, but it's also the perfect word for every relationship. I mean, every relationship is transactional anytime. And think about Greg, Greg does this a million times. Tom does this a million times. Anytime they're like, Hey, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to share some information. But what are you going to give me? I mean, it's literally explicit that they're transactional. It's not even that, that hidden, but the mom, she is so self-centered and cold and, and like you said, transactional. So there were, there were a few moments where Logan was warm. It's like surprising moments. Like when, when Kendall went to his dad right after the, the death of the waiter and was like, I messed up. And he, and there was like actually a really tender embrace. Like I've got you, I've got you as messed up as all that is. So there were like little moments of that. But I don't remember ever seeing anything tender once ever from the mom. And so it's no wonder with these kids, with this coercive, transactional, completely unpredictable father and this predictably horrible mother that we see, and I'm just going to jump way ahead to the end too, who do they have? Like when you think about like this horrible thing has just happened to Kendall, the worst thing in his life probably ever. He's alone. Like, who does he go to? Who does he call? Who does he go get comfort and connection from? Say, we see him by himself. We see Roman in the bar yep. by himself. We see Shiv in the car, half holding Tom's hand alone in her relationship. They have no one. They don't have people around them that show up for them and they don't know how to show up for anybody else. So that's where all of this leads us from the, these sort of the legacy of the parenting that they got leaves them totally alone. That's why like the whole concept of succession was like a, a, a way for us to see the, the, the trauma of this lineage and like these relationships. And so it was almost like, it wasn't about succession of this company. I feel like the, I mean, who knows what the writers were thinking, but it just felt so much like what we're watching is the playing out of what happens. And by the way, we know that the, cause we saw the brothers kind of speech and behavior about his own brother. Like there was something in their childhood too. Yeah. That got them to where they are. And we got that at the, the second to last one where we find out that Logan Roy has felt possibly responsible for his sister's death his whole life yeah. and nobody's commented on it or right. said anything about it. There's no making and sense. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. So like what, what a strange, like I keep picturing these like metal walls just yeah. sort of opening up and you peek out and then it closes again. And he must've starting at that early age from that experience been doing that. And then now he's the primary caregiver of his children. Yeah. And that's what they're getting. But he did have these glimmers of letting himself be vulnerable as a parent and being present, but they were glimmers. And then I think that's probably what kept those kids so hopeful that someday they could get him. Like someday he'd show up. Yeah. Because he did every once in a while. I mean, it's that unpredictable thing. I mean, yeah. maybe talk about that. What does the unpredictable due to us. Yeah. And so one of the things I always say is that the brain loves predictability because it allows us to anticipate and, and create safety. So something being predictable, even if it's negative, at least we know how to work with it and we know how to adapt. We can organize around it. 
unpredictability is always kind of a potential danger threat. So it activates a neuroception of threat or, or danger for us. And when we think about it from an attachment lens, unpredictability is really one of the biggest pieces of insecure attachment. It's, it's really sort of, it's like what we say is like what we really want to give our kids is the good enough parent that Winnicott talks about. And to really say like, look, our kids really need us to create positive, predictable interactions as much of the time as we can, right? And and I think that's what's so hard here is that that unpredictable. Usually, when we talk about unpredictability, we we often end up talking about anxious, ambivalent attachment. Nobody neatly fits into one attachment pattern, but I think you know when we're talking about anxious, ambivalent attachment, we're talking about how you have an unpredictable caregiver who sometimes sees and responds to your needs, but sometimes doesn't, and typically has their own needs flooding whatever the interaction is. And so the child, including an adult child, is left Mm -hmm. to actually, one of the things we talk about is difficulty soothing themselves or being soothed. They actually become clingy because they have a lot of anxiety and ambivalence about whether or not they can trust this person. So I think we definitely see features of that. You know, Logan promises each of the kids the company. And then when he yanks it away, he doesn't say, well, I've changed my mind. He basically blames it on them. Like, so he, when he first promises it, or we learned last night that he promised it to the candy kitchen in Bridgehampton, right? Which is bonkers. We could talk about that. But, but, you know, when the, and early, when we were first starting to watch season one or season two, he promises it to Kendall and then he yanks it away and says he's doing that because Kendall's a disappointment. So he, it's, it's this criticism that he uses to justify this unpredictability, but unpredictability leaves us never knowing. I often describe like adults with this pattern as like, I really want to trust you. I really want you to, you know, connect with me. I don't know if I can trust you. So there's this feeling of push and pull in the relationship and kind of some trial balloons. And then, you know, like you got to prove to me, I can trust you, but then it feels too much. So then people back up and it further reinforces, see, I knew I couldn't trust people. And so this pattern, we see a lot in these relationships. So I was thinking that's why they have this really sad, but I mean, it was endearing because they had this connection over it, which whether or not it was, you know, it's a traumatic connection, but there you go when they're looking in the refrigerator for food yeah, and Roman's like, mommy's always spoiling us because there was just nothing to eat in the fridge. <laughs> the bread and it was so, but it was like, at least they know yet again. And they can, they, I mean, it's sad that they have to joke about it, but true. They like 100% know who she is. She is incapable of thinking of them. Yeah. She is incapable of mothering yep. in the way that anybody really needs. and. It was super predictable. And and that's a weird feeling too, even for us as the audience to look at the father as the more, like as the only possible hope for them to get any of the love that they're going to need, which is like, this is the guy that we're counting on. Yeah. But then you think, well, but he did just so unpredictably and in such a coercive way that there's still like they're watching the video of him having dinner and being fun. Yeah. And it was like that moment too was one of those moments of all of them kind of holding on to whatever you could 
I felt like you could see their child selves having a mem- like a positive memory, a joy. Yeah. And like they're watching that on the screen and let's not even I mean, I guess we could go into it, but just the fact that that's what Connor has set up as like dinner with dad. Yeah. The guy who he didn't even think loved him. Right. Or cared about him right. and he's like wants his house wants to have him in the dining room and is sitting next to him at a meal and joking and poet, you know, doing their poems and stuff. And even we as the audience are like, that was a family. Like that was a moment of people connecting and laughing and they're having a memory. And I found that as jarring as a person watching, as it would be when you think about like how hard it is to deal with things that are unpredictable. Like for us, it's unpredictable. And this is just our TV viewing experience. Right. Yeah. I think that moment was actually, it's, there were so many things I thought about that moment for one is like sort of just like the, the experience of grief and how sometimes that's what happens after someone dies is we sort of swim in different memories and it can actually, mm. you know, oftentimes the painful things can soften and we can kind of hang on to some of the ways that they, they were beautiful, like beautiful moments and things like that. So I was sort of hoping that for them, but in a way it was, it was really disturbing. It was sort of an echo of everything we've seen about how they so wanted connection and, and didn't have it. And so him setting him up there was like, he got to create, create in a daily way, having his dad be there present and joyful and that kind of thing. That felt so, I mean, you know, when you think about like why these unrelatable characters these unrelatable experiences and then you break it down and you realize like these are just extreme Shakespearean versions of relationships going so tragically awry and we are still just hoping up until the bitter end. In fact, I'm curious, I didn't have this answer. Who did you want? Like I genuinely couldn't figure out who I even wanted to be the success. Like what was the win? Because yeah. you, you have these ambivalent feelings about these awful people. Yeah. I think I, I felt like Kendall was the right choice if they were going to do that. And I, w- and I was really bummed that, that one of them didn't get it. But I also feel like, God, the legacy of everything we've seen episode after episode after episode is undermining, betrayal, sabotage every step of the way. So for them to kind of sabotage and blow each other up at the very end is exactly the predictable pattern that we've seen throughout the whole thing. So I kind of wanted Kendall to have it. I definitely didn't want Shiv to have it. And I didn't think Roman could handle it. What about you? What were, who were you rooting for? You know, it's funny. I had, I, I also was kind of like, I had just thought about the arc of Roman story. Like I remember he was the most disgusting character to me the first season and was just so messed up and so disrespectful of others and just seemed so vile. And then I just felt so sad for him. Like all these different places he was seeking parents and like love, whether it was Jerry or whatever. And then the second to last episode when he's like the worst about 
the new president being, you know, this whole awful thing and not caring about humanity in any way, shape or form. I like turned on him. And then I went back during this episode and was just like, this poor creature is just like, I almost wanted it for him just because I felt so sorry for him. And like, I absolutely, Kendall, yeah, he felt like I get why he would be the right choice. He is the one I have the least amount of empathy for, even though at the end when he's like staring out and you're just wondering when, not if, but when is this guy going to kill himself is what I was thinking. Yeah, me too. I was so worried. Yeah. It was so scary because you just were, I was like, I don't want to see that. But I also think we, we were left with this perpetual cycle he'll be in of, you know, will he stay? Is it worth it? Yeah. And, and then Shiv, I just thought, well, she's a woman and she's pregnant. And that part of me was like, you know, she's had to build these walls because of the lot she was given in this crazy. So then I thought maybe Shiv, but I had no, I really couldn't decide. But what I thought was crazy what I really was shocked by was how I was completely, I'm just a viewer. And I was completely confused about how I felt. So let's talk about Shiv as a mother. So, you know, she gets that phone. We, we remember that time she's talking to the doctor. She gets the news. And I think it, it, I think she knew she was pregnant maybe, but the doctor was giving her information about whether the baby was healthy or whatever. It was additional information. But a typical new mother asks a lot of questions or at least has some emotion. It might not even be positive emotion. There might be some fears or some ambivalence or whatever, but usually emotion. And she is like, she immediately shuts it down. She's, it's like she got a call from the dry cleaners, letting her know her, you know, her jacket was ready to pick up. She's very much like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Great. And then she just hangs up and, you know, she hasn't shared it with anybody. And, and really when she does end up sharing it with Tom, it's almost punitive. Because he's older, you won't make a good mother because you don't, you don't know what love is, or you don't know how to love or something. I don't remember the exact words. It was something about love. And then, and you know, and when she tells him, she's like, well, just so you know, you know, like it's not in a moment of joining. Oh my God. You're right. It's like, that is the origin story of this baby and this mother child relationship. Yeah. And we don't even see the only thing there are glimmers of the two times she's almost fallen or fallen, like when she fell after her father died in his apartment and then she fell once. And and then when her brother is like having his meltdown and, and nearly, I don't know, Roman stopped him from pushing her. Right. Yeah. Those two times I felt like she had that maternal instinct to protect herself. Yeah. And those moments, like when, she pauses and looks like she's kind of thinking about which direction to choose. And this might be my projecting, (laughs) but it feels like she wants to do right by this baby, but she just has no idea how. No. I mean, when you think about her relationship with Tom, okay, so these are the parents of this baby, whether they stay married or not, whether they have a quote unquote real relationship or not, you know, she's had nothing but coercive threat-based unpredictable parenting from her dad and predictable, total dismissing, avoidant, shut down, cold parenting from her mother. 
Ooh, that's a lot to work through. And you know what, you and I've talked about this in previous episodes, and, and we know that the research is helpful in terms of, you know, what we pass on to our children is not necessarily what it doesn't have to be our destiny, our history does not have to be our destiny, as long as we reflect on those experiences and create a coherent narrative, and we work through a, a sense making process of, of repair and all that. She there's no evidence she's going to do that. In fact, we see lots well, that of that she's even interested or right. she's even interested right and that's you know i don't i i it's a it would be a rarity i don't remember it at all maybe there were moments but after these horrible relational interactions there's usually no repair people just go on and that's what we yeah. you and i know that that that's a huge important piece of positive parenting is repair after after disconnection or after moments we lose it as parents or whatever if we think about their relationship, I kept thinking about John Gottman's work. You know, John Gottman is sort yeah. of John and Julie Gottman about they are specialists in marriage. And they always they talk about the four apocalyptic horsemen of doomed marriages, like signaling end times. And here they are. Criticism, which is like attack. Like everything that shows up. Everything. Yeah. And, and by the way, as I walk through these four, don't just think about Tom and Shiv talk about, think about every relationship, like especially Logan and his children. So criticism that attacks the partner at the core of their character, like you're basically like attacking who they are. Who you are. Yeah. Your being, like your soul, your, your essence, right? The second one is contempt. This is where you're mean. And it's not just disrespect. It moves into like, mocking, ridicule, demeaning, shaming. And and there's a lot of nonverbal stuff that can go with that too. Eye rolling, scoffing, all of that. But the, the, the point of the contempt is to make the other person feel worthless, despised. And it often is a position of moral superiority. Okay. And this, by the way, is what Gottman says is the greatest predictor of divorce is contempt. Right. The third one is defensiveness. Everyone knows what that is. And the fourth one is stonewalling. And that's where the listener withdraws from the interaction. You're like, I'm out. You shut down. Instead of wrestling with it or discussing it with your partner, you evase, you do evasive maneuvers. You check out, you act busy, you obsess on something else, you get distracted, you, you know, throw another accusation out to send them another direction. So these four things are the relationship a hundred percent between Tom and Shiv. And this is, this is not voting well for their future, but I think these four characteristics were, I kept thinking about Gottman. So I was like, let me go remember what those are. And I was like, ah, this describes every relationship, every relationship in this story. Yeah. And what's so devastating is that when you combine that and, and the thing is just because those relationships are unhealthy doesn't mean that they're not going to continue. And so what's, what's scary is that like, that's now your model of a relationship. And the other side of it is the addiction to, you know, like getting, getting a little taste of something. And then like, I kept picturing those rats drinking sugar water and then getting nothing and going back in the hopes of getting the sugar water. Yeah. And it feels like every one of the connections in this show and most importantly the parent child connections were except the mother who gave no there was no sugar water was this this way of creating an addictive desperation mm. to getting something from the relationship oh, 
And you just think about that's, I mean, that's it. That's it, Aliza, because the times Logan does bring them in and it's like, it's you, you know, or he gives them this little bit of sugar water and or a little sugar water, a bit of loyalty. Like you're my person. They crave it so much. It's what they want at their core so much that they're willing to like totally sabotage their siblings. They're willing to sabotage everything even though they know based on history that they can't rely on this, that, that this is just setting them up to be devastated again. Oh, they want it yes. so much. They that they're willing so much. Yeah. They're just, they're willing to be broken over and over and over again, because it's such a primary need to have their dad be look favorably upon them and to, and, and really sort of in this family, power is love. Right. And so it's like, if I give you power, that means, you know, just like, I mean, there are lots of families where, you know, money is the love language or whatever. In this family, it's power and access and attention and the absence of contempt or whatever in that moment that they just needed it. And it is, it's a primary need for all of us to have somebody and especially a parent. So he, it's just enough to keep them coming back. And that is why just for people to think about like what these kinds of ways of being can do look at how they were not longing for their mother's love because she never gave them sugar water right. to try to come back was, there was there, no there. sense yeah right but with their father it was a constant maybe this time yeah no matter what the data in their brain tells them there is there is those that possibility and the possibility kept them clinging to hope the entire time. And it's so tragic. And it was just like watching, by the way, it, we, we had the same feeling as a viewer. Yeah. We were like, maybe this time they will be good to each other. Maybe this right. time they will be real. Maybe this time. And then some, they would do something barbaric. Right. And, and we long like, for Why it. am I surprised? Right. Yeah. And like, you know, Shiv's like, Shiv's like calling Tom and like, would you want to have a real relationship? We're like, oh, yes, like do it. Please. You know? yes. and, and then at the dock, when the siblings are like, we anoint you. And they're like, they're, you know, with, with Kendall on the dock. And then in the kitchen, you're like, oh, they're coming together. They're going yes. to hold on to it. You know, when really in reality, you'd be like, sell that. Thing and get out, you know, but I think when you were talking about it a minute ago, what it actually made me think about is like the domestic violence cycle, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. there's a honeymoon period, right? Where everything is good and you have you know, things, you feel close and connected to the person, but then the, you know, the tension starts building and then there's the, the assault or the, you know, the, the moment of violence, verbal, emotional, physical, then there's a kind of a pulling away period, but then there's a reconciliation. You go back to the honeymoon period. And, and so in a way, Logan's predictably unpredictable. And they sort of know that even though he gives them this favor for a moment um, and he's coercive, even in the way he does it, that they just hope this time it will, it will, that he will actually hold them and be loyal to them. Ugh. What are a few ways that we can check in with ourselves to make sure that we are predictable, we are attentive, we are connected without getting so tied up in knots? And if somebody is thinking, oh, God, you know, when I bring it down to the emotions and I, you take away the planes and the boats and the <laughs> power, yeah, what? 
I recognize this. How do I break these patterns? Yeah. I think for all of us, you know, there's there's going to be stuff in there we a lot of us identify with in much, you know, obviously less less amplified typically forms in our own in our own the sort of succession of family patterns that have been handed down to us, right? There always is a a passing down across generations of things we intend and things we don't intend. And some of them are positive and some of them are not. You know, as you've watched this and you have that feeling like, yeah, that was the message I got in my family too, is that people who love you screw you or, you know, you can't count on anyone or whatever. These things that if if you're identifying with any of these things in your own family legacy, this is a great invitation to you because as we know, history does not have to be destiny. And so it's a great time for us to all reflect on you know, there were certainly parts of Logan that I was like, oh, that reminds me of my dad, you know, or or things like that is to say, gosh, what was that like for me and my family? And how has that impacted me? And what do I intentionally want to be sure I'm passing down in, in the way I show up for my kids? So I think that's one piece is just reflection, right? Just that shows like this are always, they're safer because it's pretend characters in a pretend setting, but beautiful yeah. writers, like they were beautiful writers, wrote things that are identifiable. So it's an invitation for us to reflect. I think the second thing is, you know, you and I've talked about this before, but in the power of showing up, Dan Siegel and I talk about if we want our children to have secure attachment with us, which we know is one of the best predictors for how well they turn out and how they can pass along secure attachment to their their children, is that we want to show up and provide them with four S's as much as we can. And that's really to keep them safe, to see them so safe and seen. We really want to see who they are and their internal landscape, not just their behavior. The third one is to soothe them. And that's really about showing up and comforting them, particularly when they're at their worst, when they're struggling the most, we're, we're co-regulating their stress states. And then the fourth is to is security, which is really the idea that they have enough repeated predictable experiences with us to know that if they have a need, we're going to show up for them. So those are things we can intentionally cultivate in our everyday lives with our children. I think about even that, you know, to now I'm going back, even though you're trying to close this out. I was thinking about that last scene we see with with Kendall and his children and his ex-wife and how he's so mad that they won't, she's not letting them come to the funeral. And she's like, it's not safe. It's not safe. And he's throwing himself up against the car and banging on the windows. And so he's violating this feeling of safety for his kids. And so here we see him at the end. He doesn't, he doesn't even have the connection. You know, he, he really has not cultivated that, those four S's, even in co-parenting with his ex and, and with his children. So there's a, there are a lot of parenting things that show us the impact of, of who we are as parents on our children. That was so, ugh, it's true. I mean, it is just so true. I think that's what it is. That's what gets us is like the other part of this is just you're watching and you're just like, just reflection and repl- repair would change everything. Everything, everything. I mean, think about even if their mom, let's say their mom started listening to your podcast and she <laughs> she started like, doing all kinds she of like, education. <laughs> And she, maybe she went to, she definitely went to therapy for a good long while and she starts doing some reflection. She reads the power of showing up and she goes, oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't the parent my kids needed me to be. It's not too late either. You know, there's been a lot that's happened and impacted them, 
but that doesn't mean there's no chance. There's no repair. She could theoretically go back to them individually or as a group and say, I have just realized that all of my own trauma and all of my own, the way I was parented, I had to shut down to survive in my family. And that's not an excuse, but it's a, it's a way for you to understand why I was the parent I was. And now I want to do better. I want to have a different kind of relationship with you. And I, and what that means is me sitting in my own pain and discomfort, listening to you share with me how I hurt you and how I didn't show up for you and how that's impacted you. And, and to really walk through that together, that could happen. I don't think the writers will call us in to write that. That's that's equal. But I'm saying we just make us all collectively feel so much better. Exactly. Exactly. We need some repair. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.